Today on the emdocs.net podcast, we're going to cover one of our EM at 3 a.m. posts on the sick neonate. Let's start off with a case. Your patient is a 10-day-old female who presents with her parents due to poor feeding and increased work of breathing. She has also had poor urine output, but her parents haven't observed any fevers. She was born at term. She's afebrile, but tachypnic and tachycardic. Her serum glucose is 48, and she demonstrates increased work of breathing. Neonates are a distinct population with some important physiological differences. The sick neonate in the ED is pretty uncommon, but when we see these patients, it can be terrifying. The most important aspect of these patients is having an approach to the evaluation and management. There are several different approaches you can use for determining the underlying etiology. The misfits and neosecrets are two mnemonics that can be utilized. We're going to look at the misfits mnemonic. The misfits mnemonic stands for trauma, heart disease, endocrine, metabolic, inborn errors of metabolism, seizures, feeding problems, intestinal issues, toxins, and sepsis. When it comes to your history, you want to obtain history concerning pregnancy and delivery, neonatal course, gestational age, and vitamin K administration. Make sure to ask the mom about any maternal illness and lab results such as GBS, HIV, and rubella. Ask about neonate feeding and sweating, urination, stool, activity, skin changes, and one of the most important factors, fever. Also ask about neonatal growth, screening labs, and any weight changes. Keep in mind that for some of these patients, you won't have time or the ability to obtain a good history, and you'll need to start your resuscitation. When it comes to your assessment, one of the biggest helps we have is using the pediatric assessment triangle. This incorporates appearance, work of breathing, and circulation. When it comes to appearance, you want to use something called the Tickles mnemonic. This stands for tone, interactiveness, consolability, look gaze, and speech cry. For worker breathing, neonates are hypermetabolic and require close assessment of respiratory status. Look for any nasal flaring, abnormal airway sounds, and abnormal positioning. For circulation, look at their skin color and tone, as well as pallor, cyanosis, or modeling. Make sure to obtain vital signs of blood pressure and pulse oximetry in all extremities, which can help in your evaluation for congenital heart disease. Make sure to perform a good head-to-toe examination, including the skin, fontanelles, pulses, and genitalia. Irritability and hypothermia, as well as fever, are concerning for infection. For evaluation, start with your airway, breathing, and circulation. Normal vital signs include a heart rate of 110 to 180, respiratory rate of 40 to 60, and the MAP is equal to the current gestational age. So if you have a one-week-old and they were born at 38 weeks, the gestational age would be 39 weeks. For your other studies, make sure to obtain an EKG, a chest x-ray, a CBC with venous blood gas, electrolytes, liver and kidney function, coagulation function, ammonia, lactate, blood cultures, urinalysis, and lumbar puncture. If there's any evidence of trauma, or if you're concerned for abuse, obtain a head CT. You can also perform a bedside ultrasound to evaluate for a source of shock and cardiac abnormalities. For your management, it really depends on the underlying etiology. Of course, you're going to be resuscitating while you're doing your evaluation. Based on the differential, you can provide a fluid bolus. If you're concerned about a cardiogenic etiology of their shock, provide a 5 milliliter per kilogram bolus. For your other patients, you can provide a 10 milliliter per kilogram bolus. Make sure to warm the patient. 
Neonates have poor insulation and can rapidly become hypothermic. If they're hypoglycemic, remember your rule of 50s and provide 5 milliliters per kilogram of D10 IV glucose. For infection, the most common microbes in the neonates are group B streptococcus, E. coli, and staphylococcus aureus. You can provide ampicillin and gentamicin or cefotaxime. Now, while we had initially recommended IV fluids at 10 mils per kilogram, if you're concerned about sepsis, especially in the febrile patient, you can provide up to 60 milliliters per kilogram of IV fluids. If the patient has cold extremities or cold shock, start epinephrine as your first dose vasopressor. For warm shock, you can use norepinephrine. If they're unresponsive to fluids and vasopressors, start hydrocortisone. If you're concerned for HSV, start acyclovir. Think about cardiac causes in patients with shock who are afebrile. These patients are more likely to have a cardiac cause as opposed to infection and sepsis. There's three primary types of obstructions. Shock with obstructive flow to the body, such as an aortic coarctation, blue with obstructive flow to the lungs, such as a tricuspid atresia, and heart failure, which can occur in an AV canal defect. Use the hyperoxia test to evaluate for cardiac diseases and perform an ultrasound to evaluate the cardiac chambers. For these patients, you're going to want to consult your PICU and cardiac surgeon. I'm not going to dwell into the particular types of lesions, as we're going to have a focused post on these later in the year. However, for the ductal-dependent pulmonary lesions with cyanosis and hypoxia but in normal chest x-ray, use phenylephrine, but norepinephrine and epinephrine will work as well. For a ductal-dependent systemic lesion with shock, difference between pre- and post-ductal blood pressure and pulse imagery, congestion on chest x-ray, think about neuronone. Now in these patients, provide prostaglandin starting at 0.05 micrograms per kilogram per minute IV. Prepare for hypotension, apnea, and hypoxia. Make sure to use caution with IV fluids. It's reasonable to start with 5 mL per kilogram bolus and then reassess. If they're systemically fluid overloaded, you can provide furosemide 1 mg per kilogram. To move on to intestinal conditions, definitely administer broad-spectrum antibiotics make the patient NPO, and talk with your surgeon colleagues. Assess for history or presence of bilious emesis and failure to pass meconium. Malrotation with volvulus peaks in the first month, and you want to evaluate with an upper GI series. Intussusception can present with a history of colicky episodes. Diagnosis includes ultrasound with air or barium enema. Bowel obstruction can present with bilious emesis, failure to pass meconium, and abdominal distension. Pyloric stenosis presents around 3 to 5 weeks with non-bilious emesis, and you can obtain an ultrasound versus upper GI series for diagnosis. Necrotizing enterocolitis usually occurs in patients with premature birth within the first couple weeks. X-ray will show pneumatosis intestinalis or portal venous air. Toxic megacolon presents with failure to pass meconium and toxic appearance. Let's move on to hyperbilirubinemia. Jaundice has a huge differential but is typically broken down into indirect and direct hyperbilirubinemia. Labs include a CBC, Coombs test, reticulocyte count, biliary labs, and electrolytes. For respiratory, muscle fatigue sets in quickly in neonates, resulting in apnea. They're obligatory nasal breathers, so any congestion can result in respiratory distress. Now, while pneumothoraces are rare at this age, ultrasound and x-ray can be used for diagnosis. Seizures most commonly are due to ischemic injury, but up to 10% can be due to intracranial infection. Correct the glucose, 
administer lorazepam or phenobarbital, antibiotics, and a cyclovir for HSV. Consider pyridoxine for seizures refractory to benzodiazepines. Obtain a CT head and LP. For inborn errors of metabolism, these patients present within the first few weeks after birth. In addition to the above labs, obtain a serum of amino acids, pyruvate, and urine organic acids. Patients may have elevated ammonia, elevated lactate, low blood glucose, and electrolyte abnormalities. Make the patient NPO and replete the glucose. Definitely provide antibiotics for any sepsis. Ammonia greater than 200 may need dialysis. For endocrine, consider congenital adrenal hyperplasia in patients with shock, unresponsive to fluids and vasopressors, hyponatremia, hyperkalemia, and hypoglycemia. These patients need hydrocortisone and antibiotics. Think about thyrotoxicosis for failure to thrive and in patients who had maternal Graves' disease. These neonates need propranolol, propylthiouracil, hydrocortisone, antibiotics, and Lugol solution. Think about congenital hypothyroidism in those with poor feeding and poor tone. Electrolyte abnormalities are typically due to an underlying process, but you need to avoid correcting them too rapidly. For seizures associated with hyponatremia, provide 4 to 6 mils per kilogram of 3% hypertonic saline. For hyperkalemia, give them calcium gluconate 10%, 100 milligrams per kilogram over 5 minutes, sodium bicarbonate 1 and 2 milliequivalents per kilogram IV, and insulin. For hypocalcemia, provide 100 to 200 milligrams per kilogram of 10% calcium gluconate. Trauma occurs fairly rarely in this age group. However, there are some significant differences between neonates and other populations. A subgaleal hemorrhage may result in decompensation due to low circulatory volume in neonates. For example, a 5-kilogram neonate has 400 milliliters of circulating volume. Also think about non-accidental trauma or abuse. Head trauma can result in a 30% mortality rate in this population. Make sure to obtain a head CT and x-rays, and always keep non-accidental trauma on the differential. For toxicologic, our last one, think about exposures and obtain a good history. Most, if not all, of these patients will need admission to the hospital, so the earlier the consultation with pediatrics, the better. Further consultation is guided by the suspected underlying etiology. Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.